I want to thank you all for attending our this year's conference on Insider Movements, A Critical Assessment. And this conference is really for all of you, for all of us. It's not one organization that's per se putting this on. It's many different organizations that come together from all over the world in order to have this uh, a time of assessment uh, to consider our, our present topic. Um, there are many professors, uh, directors of organizations, uh, missions directors, some of you I've known for a long time, some of you I've just met today, and, uh, and we appreciate uh, you being here, and you are what actually makes this conference successful. Uh, each of you has participated in Bought Your Own Way. You made it all the way to Lynchburg, Virginia, and which is kind of hard to, to find a little bit, uh, but uh, we made it here, and uh, this is uh, th one of the largest Christian universities in the world. And therefore, as a symbol, it represents uh, an important base for evangelical Christianity, evangelical ideas, and the quality of the school and, uh, is, is known throughout the world. And therefore, it's appropriate that there's also assessments from an evangelical perspective uh, from this place. Uh, we'll be um, having other professors from Liberty University coming to speak uh, right after me, and then also uh, others participating later on as well. Um, the, I wanted to acknowledge a few people who have come today uh, that have traveled a very long distance. Uh, one of them is uh, Pastor uh, Anwar, and uh, if you could stand up for a moment, wherever you're, here he is, and, and uh, if we could all welcome him. Uh, Pastor Anwar is, is a, uh, from Bangladesh, and he was involved in the insider movement in Bangladesh. And so uh, we've uh, flown him, he's come in and flown in in order to participate uh, at this conference. And tomorrow he'll be interviewed by Bill Nikitis, who's with I Squared Ministries. He'll be interviewing him tomorrow so we can get an on the ground look at the movement and how uh, insider movements uh, uh, work and how they, you were involved. Uh, uh, working with and under the insider movement leaders in that country. And so it's an honor for us to have you here. Thank you for being here with us. Your conference uh, MC this evening is, is uh, Dr. Jeff Morton. Uh, Jeff, could, Dr. Morton, could you stand, please? And he uh, also works with I Squared Ministries, and he'll be coming on right after me to introduce each and every speaker. Uh, how did this, uh, the historical background um, of this conference actually begin? Uh, it was in 2009 when I was on a, a council for Muslim ministries uh, in America, a certain ministry that brings together Muslim ministries uh, in America. And on this uh, council, we discussed at a conference that we were going to be having who the speakers were going to be and what were the subjects that were important to address within the American context, and so on. And one of the subjects that we had uh, tossed around was the idea of, of, uh, of talking about insider movements, especially because uh, a number of organizations, and there were many missionaries and advocates that were, uh, especially new ones, that were adopting the insider movement methodology. <laughs> so. Uh, some people on this uh, council felt like it would be too divisive, and eventually it was decided that it would be best for us to actually take this outside uh, of that uh, particular coalition and to move that in, into I-squared ministries where we would actually have this conference. 
And so in 2009, last year, uh, I called around uh, to um, many of my friends uh, to ask them to be on a, a council board, council directive. Uh, that included uh, uh, Jay Smith, uh, certainly as he's written assessments, and we'll hear about him from him later. Um, also, uh, there was uh, Dr. Sasan Tavasoli, who's a former Shiite Muslim who's had some experiences with insider movements as well. Uh, Stuart McAllister with Ravi Zacharias Ministries, and Jeff Morton and myself. And so we threw them into a council and pulled together uh, this conference this last year. There were around seven papers that were actually given last year, and three testimonies from former uh, Christians from a Muslim background uh, that gave papers uh, about their experiences with insider movements and also the, the theoretical, theological, and exegetical concerns uh, from a biblical perspective uh, on insider movements. This year we had maybe three times the amount of papers in, in, uh, to give this year, and we had to go through them all and sift what would actually uh, be good to give. Uh, insider, insiders and outsiders were invited. Everybody is welcome to this conference. Nobody is excluded. Uh, if you are here and come from uh, that kind of methodology and that kind of persuasion, you're welcome here. Uh, we don't exclude you at all. You uh, are welcome to, to be here. You're welcome to give papers at this conference. Uh, this isn't a place where it's just uh, for our group to speak alone in that sense, but we welcome that as well, as well as the others <coughs> who would uh, contribute on the various subjects. Uh, the conference, of course, is with the, uh, a critical assessment. And, um, of course, the conference leads out with the idea that, uh, you know, we're not, we're not about uh, critically or, or assessing or attacking a person. Uh, just to, to set a tone, we're not about attacking any organizations at all. Uh, it's not about people or organizations. What we're interested in is critically assessing a methodology that uh, we consider should not be an evangelical option for Christian missions. And so it's around this subject that this area that the church and the world needs leadership to begin discussing and dialoguing and creating networks and so on to be able to talk about these very important issues. Experiences that I had that led me into this is I had met some missionaries who were uh, insiders working in uh, different countries around the world, in Asia and so on, who very much were uh, acting like Muslims, praying in the mosque, praying five times a day, etc. <clears throat> and uh, conferences that were uh, continually mobilizing new missionaries into and funneling them into these larger insider movement networks and so on. Also, pastors I was talking with were concerned that the issue, and whether we like the word or not, <coughs> the issue that was being discussed is, is this in fact heresy? Is this something that's outside in a different way uh, to salvation, or is it outside, and is somehow Christianity or our faith in Christ being Islamicized, or is it the Islamization of Christian missions, or is it Chrislam, neither Christianity nor Islam? Is it a hybrid syncretism? What's the biblical word for that? And so it's this assessment that is really unclear. And to give evangelicals a, a spotlight and a voice to be able to speak kind of prophetically and biblically from what the scriptures have to say about this subject is what all of these papers should be concerned. So they should not be 
you know, attacking a person because they're a person, or uh, they should not be about attacking an organization in your papers for those who are giving papers. It should be about assessing a methodology. I want to be clear about that, assessing a methodology. And is this, in fact, biblical, and is it something that Christ would want he and his covenantal community, the church, to be involved with in the kingdom of God? Um, the subject of, uh, of the conference, uh, Insider Movements, uh, a critical assessment. I want to move on to <coughs> the, uh, the paper. And bef before they do that, I also wanted to thank, and if we could all thank, uh, the I-squared ministry staff. There's been uh, Casey's in the back running back and forth from camera to camera. You'll see him. Erica, his wife, is here. Jeff is here. Bill Nikiti is my wife. Jasada is here in, in the front. Um, we, uh, uh, who else am I fitting? Ona and who else is here from I-squared? Forgive me if I forget anyone. But uh, we want, I want to thank all, they've worked tirelessly and very hard for you to, to make this conference a success. So if we could thank them as well, that would be appreciated. <laughs> let's open up in prayer and let's uh, ask the Holy Spirit to come and visit us and be with us in this time. Amen? Father God, we thank you in the name of Jesus. We ask Holy Spirit that you're your presence would come down with fire from heaven. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would discern and work through the hearts and minds of all that are here. We pray, Holy Spirit, that as we study to show ourselves to prove workmen able to rightly handle and divide the word of truth, that you would speak and bring illumination to what it is that you want to accomplish. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead and guide us, all the speakers that are here. We pray relationships would be born of you and from heaven, that everything you, you want to accomplish in this time would happen. And Father, we pray especially that each one of us would know specifically, even adjusting sometimes some of these issues in our own hearts and methods, that we would adjust and that we'd be doing exactly what you've told us to do. And we pray that, Holy, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and that every single one of us would find and know what our role is in the finishing of the Great Commission on the earth the evangelization that's biblical, the discipleship that's straight from what Jesus said in the Bible, and the church planning that's biblical, Christ-centered missional communities that can destroy the works of the devil on the earth and make disciples and see the covenantal kingdom of God communities extend in your reign throughout the earth. We thank you for this. We pray, God, you speak to us in this time, and we thank you for this. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All of these conferences being video recorded. It will be available in audio. <laughs> there are other books that are being created out of these courses. There are uh, websites being created. I'll tell you about at the end of the conference, articles and so on, and other websites that already do exist that we can refer to that can help you in your own search and your journey through a otherwise kind of jungled topic. <laughs> so let's begin with insider movements an evangelical assessment. And I think Basil Graffis has laid out <laughs> for us the most accessible kind of uh, approach to understanding this subject. Uh, the subject. Uh, there have been those who have come from uh, 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 housewives and so on that have come to the conferences last year and uh, felt that this kind of uh, initial uh, paper was very helpful. And so I want to open up this subject for those of us who maybe are not familiar with this and of course, um, uh, this will give us a good introduction to it. Contemporary missions is firmly committed to contextualizing the gospel for other cultures. 
One of the most trumpeted recent examples of this contextual, contextualization method is called the insider movement. Insider movements have been defined as popular movements to Christ that bypass formal and explicit expressions of Christian religion. A key text used to support insider methodology, uh, regardless of which faith system is involved, uh, is, quote, each one of us should remain in the condition in which he was called, 1 Corinthians 7.20. Insider movements are not expressions of church planning. They remain outside of Christianity, Christianity and within their original faith systems. The gospel is incarnated within the, uh, the originating culture. Insider or messianic Muslims, therefore, do not consider themselves as Christians, and usually not as Muslims followers of Jesus. The phrasing itself implies a continuum from unbelief to Christ, not from unbelief to Christianity. A proponent, John Travis, describes messianic Muslims as Christ-centered communities who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Believers remain legally and socially within the Islamic community. Aspects incompatible with the Bible are rejected or, if possible, reinterpreted. Believers may remain active in the mosque uh, if sufficient numbers permit a C5, uh, Travis's term for Messianic Muslims or insiders, mosque may be established. Phil Parshall notes that they, they call themselves Muslims without any reference to their relationship to Christ. They perform the Salat like any other Muslim, though uh, the content of their prayers may vary. They affirm the Shahada, uh, the creed, underlining the prophethood of Muhammad, and may go on ritual pilgrimage. They may participate in their own communities for worship, and in certain insider communities, evangelical Christians can legally convert to Islam and join the mosque community. They justify their choices by comparing what they do to the early coexistence of churches and synagogues in the first century. The hope, of course, is that Messianic Muslims will redefine and reshape Islam according to the Bible. The concern for removing uh, cultural uh, barriers has also led, over the last 10 years, to the creation of insider Bible translations. These are characterized by commitments of using vocabulary and phrasing familiar to and acceptable to Muslims. Some of these advocate, for example, the replacement of offensive phrases, such as son of God, by more acceptable and less confusing, if incomplete alternatives, such as Isa al-Masi, Jesus the Messiah in the Quran. Now, I have uh, going around... Uh, three different copies of uh, insider-type translations that have happened in countries such as Malaysia, I like to focus on, and some insider uh, translations in Arabic and so on. The word that's used um, in the Malaysian translation for the, the they're sometimes called Muslim-compliant translations, or sometimes they're Muslim-friendly translations of the Bible, but the word that, that's used um, is for, for son of in, uh, in Malaysia is the same word I would use for if my, my son, Anna, Anna Lakai. And so this, this would be the word that would be son of. Uh, ja, uh, 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 that would be the word, son of. The other word is putra. Putra is the word prince. Uh, 
And so the word that was used in the Malay translation is putra, P-U-T-E-R-A. Sorry if I'm slaughtering it for those uh, uh, fluent in Bahasa Malay. Um, what I'm sending around to you, because debate goes on, does prince actually mean son of? When I met with deans of, of certain departments, uh, they say that the word prince means son of. When you talk with those who actually did the translation and you see it within their emails, they say it means son of. And as they pull their copy of the Malay translation off their bookshelf and they open it up and they have putra, yes, yeah, see, it means son of. And so even people familiar with other languages close to it, they say, well, this means son of. But if you go to every single Malay dictionary that exists in English, Oxford Press, Cambridge Press, you know, these kinds of, uh, of dictionaries. And what I'm passing around to you is every single one on a PDF file that does exist, um, you'll find that each and every one of them describes Putra as prince and not son of. Ana Lakai, as you'll see, as you go through all the different uh, dictionaries uh, that are in uh, Malay English dictionaries, each one of them, as you go through it, are sure that it means prince. But some of you look skeptical. I'm looking at your faces. I can tell you look skeptical. So let's take this a little bit further. I also, ha I also am passing around for you a one-page document with 27 Muslims from Malaysia. And in this, questions are asked, does, uh, what, what does the word putra, what does this actually mean? Every one of them says it means prince. And when you say, can putra also mean son? Every one of them says no. Uh, and, then, and then when they uh, get to uh, what does Anna mean, it means son of. And so you'll see 27 on the street testimonies of Muslims and how they would understand son of uh, this issue. Of course, when the baptism narrative, when the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and if you change it and say, this is my prince, that's a very different thing. When you get to the Trinitarian formulation, of who God is, God's self-disclosure on the earth of who he is. If you don't have the son and it's just a prince, it's a different formulation. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. The wrath of God abides upon him, First John uh, 5. So the questions are important. Likewise, uh, with reference to Arabic uh, translations or Muslim-friendly translations of the Bible, I've also passed around several, and Adam will be dealing with this in much more in-depthly as well when he moves into his question on how relationships work, and I, I believe he's gonna address some of these issues as well. Uh, goes through some of the um, Arabic translations where certain Muslim-friendly translations have taken word father out and put Lord. So that's also being passed around. So. Father, Father, Father in the King James Version. You go through the Arabic text. It says, your Lord, your Lord, your Lord. God, the merciful Lord. But there's no Father, so where's the Trinity? Um, in the, another place where it takes out all the references to Son of God are basically, you can look through your, uh, where it says in the NIV, it would be translated Son of, Son of, Son of, Son of. It's all taken out and put in Messiah of God. Uh, beloved Messiah, Messiah of God, Christ, etc. But that's different than saying he's the son of. So in the Arabic, it also happens that way. The same thing's also used with regards to the issues of son of man. So now what ends up happening is something like this. All of a sudden you have a thousand or several thousand copies of a Malay translation 
and you pulled out son of God in every reference, Lord, or something like that, put in prince or putra, and now that's put into the, the midst of the culture, m- the midst of the nation. And when they begin to do their solid biblical exegesis, what's the text say? <laughs> how does God self-define who he is and who, how he dedicates his son, whether it's the, the story of the vineyard where the prophets are sent and he says, these are my servants are sent and they, in the parable Jesus tells to collect the monies from the vineyard, they say, well, uh, they're persecuted and so on, but finally I'll send my son, the son of exclusivity, and they send that son the way they do to him. They killed him. And so that son that's sent is very critical when the Quran says, do not say Allah has a son. It's very critical that, these, that when, uh, uh, you know, the issue of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, crucifixion, all these issues cannot be removed and be a faithful witness, which is exactly what God has called us to do, is to be a faithful witness of what Jesus has said. And that's our mission, to preach the gospel, the historical one, not to change it, not to change what God says, but to simply reflect exactly what the Father has spoken from heaven. If God doesn't know what to call his son, then no missiologist, anthropologist, or anybody translator in the world knows what to call him if God doesn't know what to call him. Um, moving on, uh, the, a verse in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 7, 20, uh, those, those will all be passing around to you, so you can all take a closer look at those as we're going. I'm sorry, there's lots of photocopies in this time and, um, and so on. It will all be out in the book that's coming out as well. Uh, a verse in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 7.20, says, Each one should remain in the situation he was when he called him is used repeatedly to justify remaining in Islam. Um, now, my, 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 I've, I've attended six universities in Islamic studies. I, I teach courses on Christian answers to Islam uh, at the universities I teach at for the last 18 semesters. So when th- all these subjects started coming up to me, I'm very acute because I'm... I'm, I'm my, my areas are the early origins of Islam for the first 300 years and modern trends and radical Islam and so on. So I'm very clear about what Islam is. Uh, Dr. David Cook will also be coming, who's one of the leading scholar in radical Islam in the world, and also speaking at this conference on these subjects uh, of, of insiders from inside the Islamic traditions. But the, 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 the context, however, to this verse in, in 1 Corinthians 7.20 does not fit as it deals with domestic circumstances like marriage. To drag an application from that question to an endorsement of another religion, of a different God, does violence to the text. Furthermore, it ignores the vast array of biblical uh, injunctions to avoid other religions. The Bible is saturated with injunctions to avoid syncretism and idolatry. C5's response uh, to this uh, is the situation in 2 Corinthians 5 concerning Naaman wor- uh, worshiping at the temple of Ramon. But it's difficult to see how this trumps anything. One vague, ex- unexplained reference does not counteract the weight of the entire Old Testament, which condemns false religion. And of course, Bill Nikides will be giving a paper which grounds the exegesis and the exegetical questions in the Bible in the, in the talk after this one. Insiders also attempt to distinguish between idolatry and monotheistic religions like Islam. But this does not clear up the Bible's equation of true religion with covenantal revelation. 
to equate biblical revelation and products of general revelation in human fallenness, such as Islam, is to erect a bridge to syncretism, not incarnational contextual witness. The Bible never stops with a simple generic monotheism. Standing on the other side of the equations are pas passages such as 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 14 uh, through 7, 1, counseling believers against being unequally yoked to unbelievers. In this case, the context is believers from pagan uh, backgrounds continuing to worship in their former context. The counterargument that Islam does not worship idols is not completely accurate. Islam does not worship the triune God of the Bible. Insider missiologists appear to place the bar too low in attempt to keep the church from placing it too high. Assessments by insider proponents extol the life-changing virtues of the movement. It sounds good, but it leaves out the church and everything that goes with it. Proponents say that the denial of Christ crosses the line into syncretism, but that surely cannot be enough. Denying Christ as is what? And what constitutes a denial? It seems, that the, it seems that the denial should include the denial of Christ's divinity, his eternal existence as God the Son, the Trinity, his visible body, and the Catholic universal visible church. Some insiders like the emergent church movement and open theism try to insinuate that received church doctrines such as the Trinity and high Christology, along with the creeds and confessions, are the corrupt seed of biblical Hebrew faith mixing with Greek philosophy. It's a poisonous cocktail consisting of a bad uh, theology mixed with bad history. It's a denial of the standard for faith and the life, aid, uh, the life laid down by the Bible, the essence of which contradicts every other faith system. Insiders see the joining of a church and separation from the mosque as an extra step. It's not. Claims to be Christ-centered rather than church-centered create a false dichotomy. The church is, in a, is, in, is in an essential part of gospel transformation. All too often, Messianic Muslims are left to their own devices after professing faith, or they receive a splash of rudimentary of training. The instruction received may be sufficient for a decision, but it falls far short of transformational change and discipleship. In the absence of clear uh, teaching that connects Messianic Muslims to the Bible, and the universal visible church through time, what safeguards are there to prevent insiders from becoming something that is syncretistic amalgam of Islam and liberal evangelicalism? Sadly, missionaries com uh, commonly cordon off the insider community from the larger church where they belong. Deceptive practices. Do insider uh, practices mislead people or illuminate Christ? People go, for, go to... Uh, for the life to, uh, to the mosque, they retain their self-identity as Muslims, they pray the Salat, they affirm the prophethood of Muhammad, and go on Hajj. They may eventually even be seen as heretical Muslims by their communities, but they present themselves as mainstream Muslims, as though Islam has room for a fully realized Christ, which it does not. Paul became all things to all people in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 but he publicly announces his allegiance to Christ. There was no doubt concerning what he stood for. Practices condoned by insiders, such as the ritual prayers, are not seen for what they really are. The slot is not 
simply uh, seen as a prayer, but more accurately as a binding act of loyal exclusive worship. And necessary excludes Judaism and Christianity. He joins with Muslims all over the world facing the same center, all, all his words and actions, except for some trivial differences among different schools of thought, are the same. Thus, he expresses his spiritual unity with the community of Muhammad. It's also deceptive in the sense that his practitioners often receive support from churches in the West on the basis of their presenting themselves as Christians while they live on the field as Muslims. People routinely uh, use terms such as church planning, church, Christian, pastor, etc. in the U.S., not on the field. Confusion over identity. Are Messianic Muslims related to Muslims or are they related to Christians? Missionaries are quick to associate them with Christians. The confusion stems from insider movement's attempts to avoid any categorization that forces it to submit fully to the larger body, uh, either mosque or church. The description of insider movement as a movement to Christ actually sums up the problem. Where is a movement? Proponents think uh, the attempt to locate it is misguided, but they ultimately miss the point. Ekklesia, where we get the word for church, and kahal in the Greek and the Hebrew, terms signify the assemblies of God's people, connected together through time and space in a covenant with God. It's not simply a movement. Uh, interestingly, this is the same mistake that emergent church movements make. To say you are a church also implies that you cannot simultaneously belong to two different faith systems. God established a church and the Bible defines it. To say that you constitute a Muslim church or a Muslim Christian is therefore a contradiction in terms. Islam is an anti-Christian worldview and life view and religion. Greater accountability. Insider movements claim the desire to avoid syncretism, but this is trying to close the barn after the cows have already gone. It's divided loyalties, deceptive religious practices, poor theology, and separatist impulses, such as a redundant uh, Muslim background Bible, all indicate movements away from a biblical understanding of faith rather than a biblical movement to Christ. How can someone who believes that he is a true Muslim follower of Jesus attend the mosque consult the Quran, acknowledge Muhammad as God's prophet, all of which contradict the core biblical teachings without being mired in syncretism and heresy. On the other hand, perhaps Messianic Islam, in fact, is a seeker mu uh, movement classified as such. We can see insider communities as a real springboard for the gospel, perhaps. A careful examination of insider movements suggests the critical need of churches to assess the role of missionaries engaged in Muslim-focused ministry. Insider movements could scarcely have arrived at the present point without the active support of both churches and individuals. It would be in the direct interest of the worldwide church for it to more directly engage in the missionary endeavor. The church and the field are far too distant apart from one another. They have no eyes for what's actually happening on the ground. Far greater accountability, especially doctrinal, is called for. The last thing I want to just mention is just the idea that in the Quran, there's some signatures or some what we call passports, identification markers that Muslims would identify themselves as. For example, in Surah 5, Ayah 111, it says, believe in Allah and his messenger Muhammad and bow in prayer. This idea of bowing towards prayer is literally the passport, something that identifies the who and the what you are. And in Surah 5, 111, we see that exact 
uh, identification card that's played. I don't have time to read it all, but the most famous, from an Islamic studies perspective, the most famous uh, uh, hadith of the, of the Prophet Muhammad, the traditions of the Prophet Muhammad, is un undoubtedly the hadith of Gabriel, where the Prophet Muhammad is having a discussion with, uh, with the angel Gabriel, a very authoritative angel, <laughs> and he, uh, in, this, in this discussion, says, what is a Muslim? You see, if Allah doesn't know what a Muslim is, and the Prophet Muhammad doesn't know what a Muslim is, nobody on the earth, especially not Christian missiologists, knows what a Muslim is. Is that clear? And what he says is basically, you know it, if you believe in Allah, you believe in the pillars of Islam, the things you do, and the articles of faith, the things you believe, and he goes through and lists them, I won't read it all, but basically, these are what make you a Muslim. And from an Islamic studies perspective, that I've been teaching for the last 10, 10 years in the university, from an Islamic studies perspective, that's essential. That's not, that's not optional. And so creating Chrislam or creating, uh, you know, this, this, this kind of new religion, this hybrid, uh, creating, uh, you know, some kind of amalgam or syncretism of both is not helpful from... You know, a Muslim radical Muslim would kill you for it, and a Christian evangelical should reject you for it as participating as an evangelical option in Christian missions. Thank you very much.